hun, it's me, Danielle. I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I'm here to talk about all the ways multi-level marketing and mental health do not mix. It is important to know that this podcast is not meant to diagnose or for treatment. This podcast is based off of personal experiences and opinions, and is meant to educate and entertain. Now sit back and start healing with me on this episode of From Huns to Humans. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of From Hunts to Humans. I am Danielle, and I'm so excited today to have Carla here from uh, the documentary, The Bleh. Oh my God, my words. <laughs> the Rise okay. and Fall of LuLaRoe. Um, I also want to shout out her episode on Roberta Blevins' podcast. I'm really hoping that this episode will compliment her episode and that they'll like fit together nicely and we're going to talk about Carla's mental health journey all while she was in LuLaRoe and all of the things that happened to her in regards to financial abuse and being in a cult and just everything life and how all that transpires and potentially also if you want to talk about it your mental health after being in a documentary because I'm sure that was also stressful Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, do you want to shout out where people can find you? That way they can go and look you up while they listen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Our website is really easy. It's decadesrockandpop.com. The Instagram handle is decadesrockandpop. I believe TikTok is the same. And there's a Facebook business page as well. There's a VIP group, I think, still floating around, but mainly the business page gets most of it. And that's just the same decades rock and pop. Yeah. And I'll link all of that in the show notes too. So if uh, you're listening, go ahead and scroll down or hit the show notes button and you'll be able to find all of the links there and where to find her. Um, Because she has an awesome store with a bunch of like eighties, nineties, mostly Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm band t-shirts and like cute like funny stuff and I just am so obsessed with you (laughs) I'm so glad that we found each other on TikTok (laughs) and we started talking because you are just like the sweetest person ever and I can't wait to talk more (laughs) yes well thank you for having me I appreciate it so so much yeah so do you want to go ahead and dive into your story and sure Sure, sure. Um, just a little recap on my LuLaRoe experience. I became a retailer summer of 2016, and I bought the Airstream, which was a LuLaRoe Airstream, January of 17, and kind of phased myself out of LuLaRoe by fall of 17. I think the last things I ordered were like the Christmas leggings launch and things like that. But so about a year and a half, started wearing it fall of 2015, which seems ages ago, sold for about a year and a half, um, was fully invested all in 
And um, I can only imagine how invested you were. You literally bought, I mean, it's essentially a trailer, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had to move things around on the back end to make that happen. Um, You know, at that point in my life, I was still, I still had a lot of things I was recovering from after losing my husband. And I had a lot of help trying to keep me safe financially and things like that. Um, So I actually had to move things around on the back end to purchase that Airstream because I was afraid people would tell me no. And I was just kind of convinced that that's what I was going to do anyways. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I was very, very invested. Yeah. Um, uh, First of all, I'm so sorry about the passing of your husband. Um, Do you feel like that was potentially one of the reasons that you started? Like what got you to start? Oh yeah. That was actually a huge reason because being a creative visual person, um, I, after I lost my husband, December of 2012, spent three or four years, very unhealthy. I mean, self-medicating, sleeping a lot. I said in the documentary too, there were times that I didn't deserve to have my son. And I, I, that is no secret. That's 150% true. And as I started to kind of come out of that and didn't want to live my life like that anymore, I knew I was failing my son, failing myself. He was getting older. I didn't want memories of mom being like that to affect him later the way it did with my childhood. I had a mom that was also an addict and I didn't want that to affect him. So I started praying for something creative because I knew that was my strongest coping mechanism. I would try things and just kind of get depressed again and it would fall off the radar. And I needed something that was a little bit more consistent and probably prayed for two or three years that I didn't want to do that. any. I didn't want to be like that anymore, but I needed something creative and the patterns and the themes and, you know, being a creative person and an event person, I loved it because I could theme all kinds of events and parties and things like that for the LuLaRoe inventory. And I, and I liked it at that point. Yeah. Um, so that's really how I got into it. I found it on accident with some themed Halloween leggings and I wanted to know more. I wore the product for about five months before I became a consultant. So, yeah, I, I totally get that too. Like, you know, what grief is so, so powerful and it affects us for so long. And like, as the timeline kind of goes on and like the grief cycle, it's like, it changes. And like, there are different ways that you can like fill that spot. And yeah, um, yeah. I can just see, especially, I feel like looking back on like how LuLaRoe was at that time, like in the world, yeah, like, it just seems like such a cool opportunity. Like, okay, so like, it makes sense. You're going to spend all this money to buy the products, like right. for any store, right? You have to buy right. the products to sell them. And mm-hmm. then, you know, they like have all of these like things already set for you. So you don't have to like go through and make an LLC or do, mm-hmm. you know, what, whatever business things that we have to do to make businesses. Um, yeah. You know, it just feels very easy, like um, business in a box, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how fun that you can make an event be themed and like the the in-person parties and the online parties, like you can do different themed events and like decorate mm-hmm. or 
have different games or whatever. And like, I totally see why that would fill your creative outlet. Oh yeah. Yeah. It got so annoying at the end for Pearson though, because honestly, I mean, if we went to McDonald's, I was wearing French fry leggings. If we went to the racetrack, I was wearing race cars. I didn't care. It was fun. And at the time you people would stop you in the grocery store to ask you about your leggings, where you got them, blah, blah, blah. And I was, when I started, I was one of the few, um, retailers, consultants, whatever they are calling it these days in Myrtle beach. There wasn't a lot of us, Uh, but it would be, you know, eventually Pearson was like, mom, no, you're not allowed to wear anything themed today because I don't (laughs) want everybody to stop and talk to us about your outfit. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. I'm the type of person I'd wear, I would wear a costume into Walmart if I had a reason. Well, actually, never mind that. I don't even need a reason. But (laughs) so to me, wearing the themed leggings really wasn't like, wasn't that big of a deal. But eventually Pearson got a little tired of it, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I'm sure like, you know, as a child, like being like, my mom is being embarrassing. And yes, I I guess it was just nice for him that he was able to be like, hey, this is something that you can actually not do. Versus just like, you know, when parents do random embarrassing things in public it's like oh god this Mm -hmm. is just part of their personality (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly exactly now nothing surprises him but at the time when he was really little he was like no I just want to go somewhere and not be stopped about (laughs) leggings yeah yeah um how was that for him when like you guys were in and like how was that for your relationship with with your son it was really good for a long time. It was, it was great for him. Um, he loved that other kids could come. He automatically had a little circle of friends and he had neighborhood friends and family members, but you know, I probably not to what a normal, uh, seven-year-old should have had. Mm -hmm. Um, but as I started to get healthier, we had more and more to do. And he, he loved, loved it, loved it, loved being in the airstream. Um, you know, for a kid that probably feels like a dollhouse, like it's kind of their size. So he and his friends loved it. He automatically had a lot of fun, a lot of events to go to. So he, he enjoyed it. He really did. It was good. It's fun that you guys were able to make that into something you did together. Yes. Yeah. Um, Okay, so um, as you talked about in Roberta's episode, um, and just for everyone that's listening, I am going to reference Roberta's episode. I um, really don't want to be duplicating the same thing that she did. So please make sure you go and listen to her episode and then come back and listen here. Um, Like pause it and come back. (laughs) Um, So in Roberta's episode, you talk a lot about like, the whole Sam situation. So do you want to give like, essentially like a little bit longer than the too long didn't read version of what happened with Sam? Sure. Sure. Um, to give people that don't know who he is a background, Sam Schultz was pretty much head of entertainment. He's got a lot of different titles, hype man for LuLaRoe in charge of a lot of consultants at trainings, um, conventions, supposedly booking a lot of the bands for the conventions and things like that. Um, And he is Deanne, the owner's direct nephew. I met him in Raleigh 
believe it was Raleigh. Yeah, Charlotte was the next spring after Raleigh, um, November of 17. He was planning a tour with the Airstream that I currently own now, and he was going to come to Little Myrtle Beach. And I had told him, like, say, what a great training. Mm-hmm. When you say tour, he was, was he in a band? He was, um, that was the start of his band, Culture Crew. Okay. Like, he was kind of, he had it. It was, it was formed. It had its members and everything. Um, but his original plan was to use the Airstream kind of as a backdrop for, they were going to go out, play music, and hook up with a pair up, better word, pair up with a local retailer, basically use their customer base, him coming out with the Airstream and everything. He's a very good promoter. I think people would have definitely gone and I think it would have been successful. He's a good promoter. He, you know, he's good with the computer. And I think for that aspect of it, it would have been successful. But again, here's a prime example of him just like kind of piggybacking off of the consultants yet again. And that seems to be just kind of the way he operated, unfortunately, like his abuse of his position of power goes all the way back just to even that, just as another example of, you know, how he was wanting to do things. And then after he got released or quit or whatever from LuLaRoe, um, I inquired about the Airstream and bought the Airstream. We became really good friends. We were friends for about a year and a half before he ever asked me for a dime. So what I know now, that was just the grooming process. Yeah. I think when I told him in the very beginning that I was a widow, um, he saw dollar signs right then. It was yeah. just a while before he was either brave enough to ask for it or I don't know. I don't know why he waited a year and a half other than the grooming process. I'm, I'm real not, I'm really not sure. Yeah. So what was it like, like being in like the grooming process with him? Like, how did that feel? Um, how did it feel then? And how does it feel now looking back on it? Cause I know those are two different answers. It, okay. So in the beginning, it felt genuine. It felt like he cared about Pearson. It mm-hmm. felt like he cared about me doing well. I heard about Lantern Fest from him. Um, and that was the first time that I really got out of my little Myrtle Beach area, hit the road with the Airstream. I was scared to death. I almost didn't leave that summer. And he was one of the people that I talked to that encouraged me to go. I don't know if he encouraged me to go out of just being genuine or encouraged me to get out of Myrtle Beach, be at the events he was at, so he could groom me, control me, whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know. Unfortunately, there's a lot of those questions that I'll, I will never get answers to. Um, but in the beginning, it, it felt, felt genuine. It felt like he was a friend. It, yeah. it really did. Yeah. I remember you saying in Roberta's episode that you felt like he was your best friend at one point. Oh, absolutely. 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 I could talk to him about everything. I could talk to him about dates that I had. I could talk to him about Pearson. I could talk to him about, uh, family issues. Um, you know, but that whole time I was, what I thought was a genuine friendship was actually just me spoon feeding him 
everything that he turned around later and used against me. Yeah. So, you know, that part left me really broken. That's what I was, I was actually thinking when you were talking about it was that he, because you guys were so close and you were able to confide in him so much, he was able to use whatever you told him. Oh yeah. He knew. Yeah. He knew the guilt I carried about how I lived my life after my husband passed. He knew that I wanted to replace funds that I knew I shouldn't have, you know, I just spent too much. Yeah. He knew that I wanted to make up for that. He knew how I felt about that. That wasn't fair on my late husband's memory. It wasn't fair to a child. And he knew all of that and then turned around and used it against me. And for somebody that knew so much about me and knew the emotional struggles that I had gone through. And then he turned around and stole from us, you know, stole from a child. He took his 529, convinced me to, to drain it, had a, had an answer for every single reservation that I had. Um, and then thought that I was just going to sit by and not say anything like who, who would have done that? You know, it had it just been my personal money. I don't think I would have been so affected and everything, but when you trash the memory and the hard work of my late husband yeah, and steal from a child, like you kind of picked the wrong person, unfortunately, like, I don't know anybody that would, would just stand for that. No. And, like, and I just think it's awful. What? Like, honestly, deplorable. Um, sorry, I'm just like digesting all of that. Like, I know like, it's awful what he did. Like, <clears throat> you know, telling then, me this is the way to make up for everything. Um, you trust me, don't you? All of that loaded language. Everything was an open-ended question. Answer to everything. And, you know, the part that people tend to forget is that I'm not his only victim. Yeah. I'm not his only victim. There's tens and tens and tens of us, maybe even hundreds, who knows? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of us out there. I'm not the only one. I I tend to be the loudest and the hardest fighting one. I'm sad and disappointed for those that didn't cooperate with the authorities when they asked for it because you know, like it says at the end of the documentary, a lot of his charges were dropped. And had they not been and had more people came forward, he would have had a harsher punishment and a punishment that was actually fair to his victims and that he deserved and we deserved. Yeah. And, and I didn't deserve the the slap on the wrist that he got. Neither did my son. I like, I think this is a, a great point to like kind of point to like if you're a victim of abuse on any level. I mean, obviously, you know, work with a therapist around all these things and like figure out what's right for you in your case. But like whenever possible, especially when there are a group of victims that come forward. Yeah. Speak up. Like it's so important because you never know when they're going to hurt somebody else or, you know, if you speaking out could have prevented them from hurting another person. And like, it sucks because in the process of speaking out, it can be really hard for you, mm-hmm. but like, 
no one deserves to go through what you went through. Right. And him having so many children and two new ones within the last few years, how would he feel if somebody stole his child's future? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know, you know, and you know, you can masquerade under the, I'm a perfect dad. Look at my beautiful Mormon family that only lasts for so long when you have wronged people the way you have me and multiple, multiple others. Yeah, exactly. And I see it and his timing is impeccable with some of his posts, you know, which proves I'm making an impact because that proves to me that he is scared of the outcome of this, which is good. And I'm sorry, but I'm not a vindictive person, but he deserves that. Yeah. He deserves to worry because I had to worry about the last pennies I had when he took every last penny I had. So let him worry about how it's going to affect him. His future should be affected as well. Absolutely. Like this is absolutely unfair and just, I, I, I don't even have words for how like angry I am that like people do things like this. Like it doesn't make, it just, yeah, I feel like, I feel like you're such a good person, like too, like you're so kind and genuine and thoughtful and sweet. And then for someone to take advantage of that is just like, so upsetting to me. Like we have enough hate in the world. So like, why would you take advantage of like the people that are good and the people that care and the people that are just trying to make it through and trying to do the best they can? Yeah. Yeah. I think if I had not been a survivor my whole life, this probably would have broke me permanently. Like there were times where I didn't, I really, I hate to throw thoughts of suicide into things, but there were times going, getting through all of this that I was, you know, no plans of action were in place, but yeah, I just, there were times where things were so dark. I really didn't see a way out. Yeah. You know, and not only had I failed Pearson in the years after my husband passed, but now I failed him again. The exact thing I was trying so hard not to let happen. It happened again. So, you know, it's been hard to say the least hard. One of the hardest things that I've probably ever gone through, you know? Yeah. So definitely needs to learn how to rebuild an honest life. Yeah. Like if I had any piece of advice for him, he needs to learn how to rebuild an honest life. He owes me the pain and suffering. He owes me finances for decades opening six months late. He owes me for the tax implications of pulling off those kinds of accounts and yet gets a slap on the wrist from, you know, the Utah courts. So he needs to learn how to rebuild an honest life and not do these things again to anybody ever. It just brings into like so much question of his character and like, why would you do these things to another person? I mean, other than greed, 
like greed and narcissism. I don't think he's ever been fully genuine with anyone, anyone in his life. He allegedly did a, you know, a whole bunch of things to the current family that he has. So he's not even genuine there. You can't use the crutch of addiction for everything. I am a, I can say that freely because I could have used that as a crutch. So that's not even an excuse. Somebody that's struggling in recovery or whatever his personal issues are, that's not a crutch either. You still, you've got to make up for the things that you've done. It's, you got to take accountability and you need to make amends with those that you have, you know, hurt and affected. There's been no amends. So I don't know. It's interesting, you know, so I, I, other than like kind of what you've shared, like, I don't know, I I don't know Sam from a hole in the wall, Mm -hmm. Um, but like, it's interesting to think about, you know, the life of an addict and like the choices that are made through addiction. Um, And it just, uh, goes to show how much people like it, I wonder if somebody had like or many people had showed Sam more compassion and like taught him earlier yeah. on in his addiction journey if things would be different yeah and I mainly mention it because if that was part of why he did certain things I understand it but that does not make it okay correct yeah because so for people that haven't you know had like if you haven't luckily had addiction touch your life in like that sort of way like when you're in that like really low state it can cause a lot of like really impulsive decisions to be made because you're trying to you know fill that gap or fill the void of, of your substance of choice and or what whatever you're addicted to I guess you know we're all addicted to our phones for example you know and oh, yeah. if you just stopped using your phone you would you would have some withdrawal effects for sure yeah yeah um so just whatever you're trying to fill the void from like you make different choices and yeah, yeah case, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say that I didn't understand it Right. I understand it, but that doesn't make it excusable. It doesn't. That doesn't make you deserve a slap on the wrist. You should still get the punishment for whatever the crime is. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And it, so do you know like what, what he did end up getting for a punishment? He was originally, he had 26 second degree felonies um wire and communications fraud theft by deception um however what he was charged for wasn't even all of the scams that he did with me personally so that's really really important Mm -hmm. what anybody knows about and those who have not listened to Roberta's podcast is just that it was a fake medicinal marijuana farm but it really wasn't there was so much more there were so many more things um, and it was in a short time frame. And I was really, really involved with his tour with Wyclef 
and a whole lot of other things. So I didn't really have time or feel like any of it wasn't real because I was really, really involved. And that's how these con artists work. They put you in their world so that you won't doubt them. Right, exactly. Um, and so he was charged with 26 second degree felonies. They, there was 13 people, three um, did what they needed to do as far as like all of their paperwork for the district attorney's office and all that so that they could be involved in restitution. The other 10, and I don't even know who all of them are. I know a few um, that did not cooperate with the investigators and because of them, he got a lot less. Um, he basically got a slap on the wrist and he is in a restitution agreement, um, which is, that agreement is extremely lax and that's actually something I'm gonna work on. Um, he gets up to 60 days to pay. He's allowed to pay by a credit card those are two things that delay that can delay payments to me for up to four months. Oh my God. Say, say he's 60 days late and he pays on the 59th day. He pays, but he pays by a credit card. That takes six weeks to clear and another week at least to get to my mailbox. So, and that's happened before. I've yeah. gone that long. So he can, you know, say, claim that, oh, I pay on time. It's not my fault that the Utah courts... Part of that's true. Yeah, it's not his fault. He got a slap on the wrist. He gets up to two months as far, you know, that's just not fair. I don't have two months to pay my credit card bill. No. Okay, so why would a victim of over $100,000 have to wait because you can't live an honest life and go get a job to pay the restitution? Like, uh, I get on a tangent because it's what he has gotten for punishment is so unfair. It's so unfair. It's ridiculous. And then after his restitution agreement is paid, the charges are dropped and his uh, record is completely wiped clean. That's the part I didn't know about. I did not know about that. I feel like the state of Utah failed in that regard. Um, Apparently, you can take over $300,000 from 13 different known people. That's over a quarter of a million dollars. Let's put it into context for people listening. Over a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, pay restitution. Sure, we'll give you up to two months to pay it. Sure, you can pay any way you want it to. And then after that, you're all done. Also, he even faked his 50 hours of community service oh and got God. away with it. Yeah. So anybody that works or knows anybody that works for the state of Utah courts, if you want to relay the message, you got a very unhappy victim here that deserved a lot better than what she got. That's seriously. And like, it chaps my ass to use a little bit Colty's uh, words. It chaps yeah. my ass that, yeah. you know, we have all of these systems in place and like you went through and you did everything that you're supposed to do. And like, we're supposed to have these like programs and systems that protect you and that help you feel like there was justice taken and to see how mm -hmm. upset you are and how like unfairly you're being treated. Like, honestly, just what the fuck? 
Yeah. 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 It's hard for somebody that I rebuilt my life. I started my business with pennies. I've, you know, done everything, like you said, the right way. Mm -hmm. And there's no justice. And honestly, there's really not a lot of help in general for financial fraud victims, which is something that I'm praying so hard that I get to change. Yeah. Because these specifically females, I'm sure it happens to males too a lot, but it just seems like the vulnerable female population is what's preyed on the most. And I don't feel like after having everything taken from you, that we should have to line up at a food bank, that we should be applying for emergency, you know, whatever, SNAP, um, financial assistance, calling St. Vincent de Paul for help on our electric bill. We shouldn't have to do that. And, you know, it's really, really hard to, I would just like to be able to maybe start a charity later that helps provide some type of immediate relief, partner with grocery stores in certain states. And so they can go in and shop and maintain some of their dignity. You have to remember these victims are typically... We've had everything taken from us. Yeah. There's little will. Sometimes the only will we have to keep going is our children. And we're doing it only because of them. That's how dire most of these victims end up feeling. Like that's how important this is of a situation to reach out and help them and provide emotional counseling, provide all of these things that, that they, I know what they need. Yeah. So it's just unfair to victims everywhere because there's just, there's really not a lot out there. There's not much out there. And especially in the financial state of the world right now, like money is so important in our society. Like you can't do anything without money and to have all of that taken away from you and all of the resources being so scarce like mm-hmm. what are people supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of details in Roberto's podcast about how I survived that time frame financially and how I started decades on pennies and how I got the start and where we went for our first events. And it was, you know, a village of help when I look back on it. Yeah, it really was. It was a, it was a village of help between, you know, payday loans on social security death benefits, borrowing money from my dad, the lantern fest at that time, let me come that uh, year for free um, because they had also had an experience with Sam Schultz too. And they knew that he wasn't a good person. And they said, just come, just, just come. And, you know, took me as I was and I went and um, hung my little $40 deck, very first decades rock and pop sign over my LuLaRoe Carla Hadfield on the side of the trailer. The rainbow stripes were still on her and all I had had, I had enough money to repaint the white LuLaRoe logo that was on the back side of the Airstream, which I did with like a little sample color of paint. Like I didn't even, you know, didn't yeah. even spend for a full gallon of paint, literally. You know, it was like glitter spray paint. Yeah, it was like glitter spray paint that I already had. 
Um, just like a scarf and an earring from a good friend of mine that still hangs in there today. It's like all kinds of little things that we could do to spruce it up to where it felt different for me too. Inside I didn't, I couldn't have it feel exactly the same and go out and do what I needed to do. Right. But, um, but yeah. But like, so I want to talk about like, you know, how hard it is, like, you know, so all of the financial abuse, everything you went through and then, you know, all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm going to start a new, I'm going to start this new business. And even then you still, and I'm sorry, I'm stumbling over my words, but in our culture, it is so hard to ask for help. It's yeah. so hard. I mean, I think it's a little bit easier for women than it is for men. Um, because we're more like, I don't care. I'm going to get my answers no matter what. I don't care who I right. have to ask. Whereas men are like, I'm going to do it all myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like, we're in the society where you have to ask all of these people to like help you make this dream happen and make this vision mm-hmm. come to life. And, you know, I, I can't imagine too, like where mental health was and then to have to ask every, like all of these people to like help you make this happen. It's so stressful. And like, yeah, luckily you made it happen. And, but like the, what were your feelings while all of that was happening? Like what, what was going through your head while you were trying to get set up? Yeah. I mean, the half of 2018 was more me figuring out where I could take the Airstream to and, and all of those things since I was new as far as those kind of types of events where I could take, you know, things to the vendors and things like that. But once Sam's charges came out in um, February of 2019 and I didn't have to deal with him every month trying to get any kind of payments from him, I no longer had to contact him. I didn't have to do any of that anymore. I did not realize at that point until that point happened, how held back I was, how much it was holding me back from everything else until his charges came out. And that was a good thing for me because then 2019 ended up being this huge explosion of growth. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to answer your question on how that all happened and, you know, if it was stressful, it was, um, but probably just as stressful as like me getting my feet wet in that industry with the Airstream and things like that. And um, I would say that half of 2018 from the time that the Airstream went out to her first event to where I didn't have to deal with him anymore, personally texting, Hey, are you going to make your promissory note payment? Whatever, whatever. Um, things got so much better after that, a a lot better, um, for the business. A lot of that stress was gone because I didn't realize how much of my mental capacity was being drained with that, that pulled off the capacity to be creative. Right. Um, until, until that happened. So it was a lot easier after that, for sure. My mind was a lot more clear to focus on the business. Yeah. I can only imagine how like cluttered it felt up in your brain. Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. Um, December of 18, you know, cause I was dealing with Sam directly 
he had written up a promissory note, but was having a horrible time sticking to it. And just that December alone, I got a, I think $500 payment afternoon time by time on Christmas Eve. That was all I got that month. Meanwhile, he goes to New York, takes how many five, seven people with them and gets engaged and so on and so forth. And it's like, what? Really? You made me wait. And then you, uh, where's the other 1500 you agreed upon? You, he, he still continued to manipulate me every month, every week, all the time, you know, to, that kind of abuse is, I mean, that's, that's what it is that there's no other word for it. And I guess in the last, maybe since October, September, Mm -hmm. I had to come to terms with the fact that what he did is it is abuse. It's emotional and it's financial abuse and the, the mind games and the manipulation and, you know, cutting me down to pieces, basically trying to convince me that I was the bad person Right. You know, and that he'll get what he can send and whatever. It's just, oh my gosh, that was probably one of the hardest um, half a years of my life. Oh my gosh. I, I can't even imagine. Uh-huh. Um, you should see then, the messages. I have every single text message. Good. Keep them all. Uh, oh yeah. Every single one. One of these days, I'm going to end up taking them to court again. So I'm sure you're listening, Sam. So be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I kind of wanted to talk too about like, or I guess maybe reflect on or whatever. Um, you know, so obviously you're in an MLM with, and mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me, LuLaRoe is like one of the most commercially cults I've seen. Yeah. Um, with you know the behavior control and the information control so like being already in the cult and then having this person who is connected to you know the cult leaders like he is one of the cult leaders yeah in, in this situation like I can only imagine how much of like an extra manipulation that was I don't really know how to say that um, it was, it was because you automatically trusted him. Yeah. It's important for people to understand how things worked with LuLaRoe in the training rooms, in the convent, at the conventions, um, the seminars and things. It's important for people to understand who he was within the company and how all of that happened and what it feels like to be in one of those rooms. If you've never been a part of an MLM and it's different. I've been a part of MLM conferences, and I've also been a part of true business conferences with huge companies, and they are two totally different things. They're ran differently. There's, it's facts versus fluff. Yeah. I can use Estee Lauder as an example. I was an account coordinator with Estee Lauder. And when we would go to, you know, the new product releases, things like that, you know, a few th- few times a year, we would have our own trainings and convention days and things like that. It was facts. There was no fluff. It was facts. Um, 
and it wasn't boring. I mean, I loved it. I loved, I loved my entire time there, but you go and you compare it to an MLM and it's the same across the board. It doesn't matter if it's paparazzi, Advocare, Unique, Sensi, LuLaRoe. It doesn't matter. They're all focused the same. They hire these motivational speakers or hype man like Sam. Let's have a dance party. Let's have fun. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, there's no business training whatsoever. They're going to tell you, contact 50 people, uh, join a church, um, your local mom's group, you're this, you're that, your neighbor, your friend, drop off a Scentsy wax bar or whatever it happens to be. There's no facts. There's nothing. There's, there's nothing. It's all fluff. It's all manipulation because uh, a legitimate business like, like Estee Lauder or whatever you know, they have a product that hopefully they genuinely believe in um, versus like, if we put in a dance party and if we put in a pool party and we put in an exclusive VIP party that you have to earn, like you add all these magical layers and, you know, all of the decorations, like I went to a Plexus convention and all of the decorations everywhere must have cost I don't even know how much money, but yeah, it, it's all a facade. None of it's real. It's all there to distract you from what's actually going on. And it's so fun. And it's so like chemically producing in your brain to get you to be happy and like, um, just like fall in and follow the crowd and everyone's bought in. Yeah. How are you supposed to see what's actually going on? Yes. And that's an important factor too, to think about. There's a huge addiction, addictive personality component that goes into the MLM mindset. Yeah. Um, For example, LuLaRoe with the surprise boxes. I did say that it was like a scratch off. It was the endorphins that you got from opening that basically. For me, in yeah. my experience, LuLaRoe became another addiction, healthier on the body, more hurtful on the pocketbook, maybe. I don't know. Um, but it's the same, kind of the same. You can get trapped into that mindset with any MLM. Yeah. For us, it happened to be, for me, kind of the surprise boxes that, let's see what's in it. Oh, I hope I get a unicorn. Oh, I got a good one. I'm going to order another box. A lot of that same stuff kind of goes on with all of the other conventions. Like you get addicted to the colors, the rush, the free product they're going to give you for going. You tend to overlook everything that would typically feel, not feel right because you're excited in that environment and they're very, very good at getting you excited. They're working those endorphins and you want more and more and more. It's very, very addicting. Yes. I would definitely say that it's very comparable to like a gambling addiction. Um, And fun fact, you are more likely to walk away with money in a casino than you are with a MLM. Um, Yeah, true. (laughs) 
<laughs> but um, for like other MLMs too, like, so like I was in Arbonne in Plexus and what they would do, Arbonne, like every few months, they'd be like, oh, limited edition this, limited edition this or that. And like, you would always be like, oh, are they going to bring back this old product? Are they going to bring out oh, yeah. Flavor? Like, is this going to be the product that launches my business and really makes me successful? Slash, it's am a I going, right. Or am I going to love this product? Mm-hmm. Um, and then with Plexus, they would always come out with different like incentive programs for recruiting. So like almost every month or every couple months, it would be like, oh, free sign on. Or yeah. uh, if you do this, then you earn a watch or you earn yeah. this beautiful pen or something. I don't know, like oh something God, the stupid, watch. a knickknack. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And then those limited releases, they're like, it's like giving you a dose of your medicine, Mm -hmm. giving you a dose of the slot, a dose of your script, a dose of, um, a shot of alcohol, but not the whole bottle. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, you can equate it. It's a very good analogy. Like those special releases, it, it gets the hype up. It gets you hooked in longer because you want to stay and see what they do next and if that's not a manipulation I don't know what is exactly exactly like yeah oh god <laughs> <laughs> yeah because if they if they cared about the long-term success of each individual in each individual person they would make the launch available to everyone don't put out enough product if you don't have enough for your consultants I I understand that sometimes you can't anticipate how good some things will go, but wouldn't you account for a 20% overage that should be worked in all the time? Like if you know, it's a good, let's use a flavored shake company as an example. (laughs) If you know that it's a good flavor and you sold out last fall, why would you not account for a 20% overage so you have the product a little bit longer? If you truly wanted to boost these retailers and independent sales reps of what they're called in different companies, why, why is it a special release? Why right. can't you just keep it a little bit long? Like why, why does it only last a month? Exactly. Why not six months? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Right. I mean, I do, I just don't like it. <laughs> Like, uh, for example, the, the pumpkin spice, pumpkin spice, you know, it's a fall yeah. flavor, but in so many companies we see it launch in what, like September and then it's gone immediately gone. Yeah. Gone. within some companies hours and other companies weeks. Yeah. yeah. Fall, fall goes until December 22nd. Right or right. 21st or whatever, you know, it, yeah. it goes yeah. that long. You should be able to carry a pumpkin flavor through the new year. Yeah. I mean, it's January. I picked up eggnog at the grocery store yesterday for, to use as a coffee creamer. I mean, I would buy peppermint ice cream in July. Thankfully yeah. I can do that. There are a few brands that have them out, but still like it's the whole, you know, exactly like predatory nature of the grab and run money aspect that the MLMs operate on too. That's part of the reason, like it's a money grab, it's a money grab, but you know, why wouldn't you spread it? And they don't want to spread it out and make it available for six months because that's less of a, 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 
financial impact quickly than right. what they want. And they want you to feel the the rush of being like, oh, I got it. I won. I got this. Yes. And then also like the anticipation buildup and the the fighting mm-hmm. the other consultants to get the yeah. product. And yeah. it can it makes all of this competition, it makes all of this FOMO, like everyone's afraid that they're not going to get what, you know, the new thing is. And like you were talking about in Roberta's podcast, I'm pretty sure it was you that said that, you know, you really wanted the uh, Halloween set. Oh yeah. And you didn't (laughs) get it. And you were like, what the fuck? (laughs) I almost quit. Yeah, I was ready. I was completely ready. I had not been manipulated enough at that point to want to stay. And in my, I, uh, my head was right in the fact that I said, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Why, you know, I can go work for another company or open up my own business and order plenty. So why would I continue to give money to a company? And I, I was convinced to stay. It was, I was told it would be a sad day. All I know is it would be a sad day if there were no Lularoe Carla Hadfield. I'll never forget it. I, I don't know that she meant any ill harm to it purposefully mm-hmm. because I, I really, I still, I mean, I, I liked my sponsor a lot, like, yeah. you know, and I have to remember too, that she was a victim of LuLaRoe as well. Right. Like right. we all were, she left, uh, gosh, I don't even remember. And I got a new sponsor shortly before I quit. So maybe she might've left early fall of 17. I'm not sure. I'd have to really look back on it, but you know, she, uh, when I wanted to quit, she kind of told me, you know, October of 16, like not, not to. Yeah. And how much I would be missed and things like that. And at the time, I mean, I always felt like she was pretty genuine with me, but now looking back, like, it would be a sad day if there was no LuLaRoe Carla Hadfield. Like, really? When I started, I didn't even know how to make a Facebook group. I didn't have that many followers. It was only October. Right. I don't really think anybody would have been sad that I left LuLaRoe. Yeah. And like, I hate that too. Like, you know, I uh, recently left my job to go to a new job and there was no manipulation there. There was no... You know, everyone was like, oh, like, we're really going to miss you. Mm-hmm. And uh, they really, they really did because they took me back when I decided to leave the new job. Yeah. But, um, you know, there was no manipulation. It wasn't like holding anything over my head or anything like that. Yeah. Like, if you leave your Target job, Target's going to say like, okay, sad to see you go. Bye. Right. Right. That's the way it should work in like a real. Yeah job environment if you're in fields that I can afford to do it not mine uh, yeah I might say like hey like what can we do to keep you right yeah and when has LuLaRoe said oh what can we do to keep you what can we do to make you happy oh I'm sure they've said that to the higher ups oh probably probably you're right you know if you're at the top of the pyramid oh yeah I'm sure they've kept mentors on after they were ready to go. I'm positive. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Oh, me too. If anyone's at the top and they got, they got brides to stay, please let me know. So that, yeah, yeah, exactly. 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 
but I'm sure that they also signed some sort of contract saying that they wouldn't tell people. Probably. Probably. I'm sure they, I'm, I'm sure. sure, God, sure. I, would love to, I would love to know some of those secrets, but more importantly, currently in the everything that's going on in the atmosphere of LuLaRoe, I would love to know exactly what they're thinking. Like, I would love to know what they're saying. I want to know what they're saying behind the scenes. Yeah. Like, I remember after um, Lula Rich came out, there was a lot of, well, it's only for angry consultants. Yeah. That consultants or whatever. Yeah. Um, so what and they were instructed saying? to stay silent, too. They were supposed to stay silent. I didn't hear any of that with the rise and fall of LuLaRoe. Like, I haven't heard the, like, rumor train of, like, what the consultant's reaction was. Like, I wonder if, like, it's just, like, tunnel vision. They're just like, okay, like, we already had this bad press. They're not saying anything new. Just, like, close your eyes and run. I think that they have been instructed differently this time because I'd have to pull up old Lula Rich like advertisements to look at the comments, mm -hmm. but I feel like now they are imploring people to go on like, for example, the Discovery Plus sponsored ad that circulates through Facebook feeds. Mm -hmm. It's probably half full of Huns telling me, nope, been a retailer six and a half years. Really? Six and a half years? Let's talk about the scandals and all of the problems from 2017 then. What in the hell are you still doing? Six and a half years? You should know by now how easy it is to start your own business. Your profit margin would increase greatly. If you say you're making so much money, great. That's awesome. I hope that you genuinely are. And I hope that you don't have a warehouse full of $100,000 worth of LuLaRoe that nobody wants anymore. Right. If you had a product that was a little bit more, you had freedom to put it on discounts and sales. You had freedom to clear stuff out in the slower months. Even at that, you would be doing so much better on your own than in an MLM. And these people that are commenting on a lot of this stuff, it's like, I just wish I could coach them into starting their own and making more money. If all the claims that they're making is so true, I want to ask them how long they've been holding their longest piece. How long has it been in the closet or your yeah. Lulu room or your warehouse or wherever? I, I, I want to know the answer to that question before you tell me how much money you're making. Cause I don't believe it. And you said in Roberta's podcast, if you're holding something for more than 30 days, you're losing money. Yeah. 30, 60 days, you're losing money. Yeah. Because like money. at that point, you're, the season's going to change. The trend is going to change. And, yeah. you know, your regular customers have already seen it. Yeah, especially in ones that have boutiques that are, you know, uh, more suited around certain like spring inventory, fall inventory, especially with boutiques and businesses that, that really do have to rotate out seasonally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're holding product, like get rid of it. And unfortunately, when you're involved in any MLM, you tend to stack up so much inventory that it's so hard to get rid of it. And right. they convince you that you've invested back in your business. And the, I would just thought of this too. So like I would buy a bunch of product 
And then they were like, well, you can always like sell it on the side or whatever, but then I'm not getting the PV from the sale. Like I already got that rush from the PV of my sale. So Mm -hmm. like, if you're doing the game and playing the game, trying to get your numbers right to rank up, it doesn't make sense to have them buy it through you. No, 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 it really, it really, really doesn't. Yeah. So how let's shift to I mean we kind of shifted to the documentary so like let's talk about like what was that like being in a documentary like (laughs) (laughs) um the experience of filming and the entire crew was phenomenal it was amazing um uh, I get emotional thinking about them because uh they were some of the first people to listen to not just parts of my story, but the entire thing. They cried right along with me. Um, they were wonderful to Pearson. And I was, I was sad when I left them because for two days, three days, they were my safety net in what was probably one of the hardest things that I sat down to do. And then I had to walk away not knowing what they would do with it and I trusted them but after the hustle and bustle and the excitement of filming was over you are left especially with an emotionally charged um subject matter like mine you are left just kind of strapped into a roller coaster and you can't see the track you have no idea what's going on and for me having told them the full story and not knowing what parts would go in, I, the month of October was, I was wrecked. I was a wreck. It was not exciting. I was not excited about it. I was paranoid. I was scared. I was, um, I would fall apart. I would shake. I was, it was so bad. It was so bad. And Then I finally came to terms with and talked to my therapist quite a bit, like, because I was afraid that this could have snowballed and been bad for the business. Are people going to judge me? Now people are going to know about my past addictions. Um, My family is going to watch this documentary and know what I let happen to Pearson and my late husband's memory. You know, there was so much on the line at risk with me doing this documentary that people don't understand. They only see the pretty pictures, right? They only, they, they see the outside of it. They have no idea what was going on with me internally. And even now, you know, a lot of people make assumptions of this year in a documentary, like everything's peachy keen, you know, I'm still a small business owner and things haven't really changed too, too much. Um, I've gotten a lot more support than I thought I would, Um, and overall it's been a great experience, but I'm, but I'm telling you that, that timeframe in between from after you film the entire month of November of October was terrible. And then when November came around, I started to get excited a little bit. Um, but there was still a lot of anxiety. Is it going to release on time? Is it going to release this many days before Christmas? How's that going to affect my business? What do I need to plan for? You know, you have no idea. You have no idea. And, you know, I didn't get a screener. I had no idea 
what was in there. I had to rely on other friends to kind of, you know, reassure me that it was going to be okay. Yeah. You know, and then it came out in December and I, it's like, wow. Um, it gave me a lot of healing that I thought I was doing okay, but didn't really realize that I needed. And I'm sure this podcast is going to add a lot to that. And Roberta's added a lot. Hearing it play back yeah. um, was, that was probably one of the happiest days I had in yeah. 2021. I, I'm a really big component of, you know, share your story as many times as you can, because every time you share it, you're going to get something different out of it. And other people listening to it are going to get something different out of the story. I I say this in almost every episode because I I think it's so important. Like there are so many of us that do um, interview podcasts because there are so many people that need to tell their story. And there are people that need to tell their story multiple times because every time you tell it, you're going to process something different. Yeah, I'm probably one of those people. <laughs> That's okay. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would recommend that you go and talk to Aaron Bees next. <laughs> oh, okay. Aaron, if you're listening, let's get together. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Um, but all right. Is there anything else that you want to add before I ask you my final question of the podcast? Um trying to think I I mean not that I can think of um covered a lot I I feel like we covered a lot and I feel like there's so much more information as as far as like some of the personal aspects of how things happen in the timeline that things happen for me with both LuLaRoe and the financial fraud of you know the abuse of power from Sam is on there um we talked about the filming and the business and everything. So, yeah. and how hard it was. That's really, I think, I guess the biggest maybe thing to add is that, you know, there are real people behind people in, you know, documentaries, TV shows, things like that. And um, we appreciate the support so much. I know personally I do. And I guess my biggest thing to add would just be a thank you because to be reassured that people, yeah, people are getting something positive from listening to my story when it was so hard to tell means the world to me. It really does. Yeah, we do. We do get so much because, you know, Although stories like yours that have these like really intense financial abuse situations are hopefully not as common as the typical MLM situation, these things happen. And if we are not aware of what's going on and how these things happen and like, you you don't even see it happening until it's happened, until you're devastated. Yeah. And like, that's, um, I think it was Amanda Montel. She wrote the book Cultish yeah. um, and the book Word Slut, which I haven't read yet, but I need to. Uh, but I think she said, um, we're constantly scanning to see 
what is going to hurt us and what's going to affect us. And that's why people are so interested in anti-MLM content and true crime to true crime content, because it's a way for us to kind of be like, is this happening to me? Yes. Yes. And sometimes it happens to the brightest, smartest, most responsible people because it's usually somebody that they trust and know very, very well. And the three words, adjectives that I would use to describe how any intense financial abuse fraud victim probably feels is broken, ashamed, and guilty. For me, those are the three strongest adjectives that left me feeling broken because it was somebody I trusted ashamed because I was afraid people would think I was stupid. How did I fall for this? And guilty for me, guilty as hell because of the type of funds and how badly I already wanted to make things right. Yeah. And I just felt I, I carry a lot of guilt from it even today still. Yeah. And it sucks because like, you know, as much as like, I want to be like, I want to tell you to not feel guilty. Like, you know, shit happens, but also like feel your feelings because like, who am I to tell you how to feel? If you feel that way, like it's okay. And like, I want you to know that like, we're not judging you. And if you're listening to this and you're judging Carla, then get off my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Leave. You can't sit with us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, we are, yeah, I, I I think I'll, I will, I might come to better terms with it, but I'll always feel sorry that it happened. That's fair. Like it's, it's such a terrible thing that happened. And like, you know, that's, that's what happens in MLMs is we trust whoever gets us in there or whatever advertisement we see or whatever whatever lured us in there we trusted that and you know your upline coaches you and you trust them and you trust them and you trust them and in in your situation not only did you trust your upline but you trusted upper management and like why wouldn't you trust upper management why wouldn't you trust upper management yeah 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 and and the thing that happens too with MLMs that I I I need to research more into to understand a little bit better is if you work for a major corporation and somebody has a abuse of power, there are ramifications, right? Do you know what I mean? And a lot of times there is just a horrible abuse of a power and authority and things like that, that happen in MLMs to the MLM consultants and there's, and nothing happens to them really. And I just feel like this veil of, protection is so different in an MLM company than it would be any other major corporation. Yeah. It's I agree. really, really like, strange how that happens. How... I don't understand why they're just able to get away with so much stuff. Well, I do understand why. And it's because of Amway, but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all fingers yeah. point back to Amway, but <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not fair. It's not. It's not, it's not fair. And, you know, had Sam been with LuLaRoe when all this stuff happened, 
I would probably be taking on LuLaRoe as well for, you know, keeping a predator like that on, you know, on staff. Yeah. Um, seems to be without research right in front of me that a lot of his monetary stuff started after that, but there were problems before LuLaRoe that he had, but just in general, like I wish that, um, they had vetted their employees a little bit better just because they're a family member doesn't mean they're a good person. Yeah. absolutely. And there were so many other victims while he was working with LuLaRoe, emotional, sexual victims Mm -hmm. that, you know, I just think that things went on way, way too long and they knew about it way too long before they tried to get rid of him and they should have done things a little bit sooner. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. So oh, the other thing I wanted to add, and I would like for you to confirm, um, yes. is that uh, kind of going back to the documentary piece is that people yeah. don't make money in documentaries. Like you were oh, yeah. on it. Oh, that's so important. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, that is not my house that we filmed in. That is... <laughs> That was a beautiful Airbnb about 20 minutes from my house. I downsized in the middle of the pandemic. There's no way I could have even fit the whole crew in my living room. And there would have been no side room for them to listen and watch or any of that. So that is not my house. And no, people do not get paid. Yeah. No. um, The interviews that I have done, the documentary of things like that, like that's, that is not paid. I personally would not watch a documentary for example, there's two fire festival ones. I will not watch the one where people were paid because it puts a bias on their story. Right. I didn't even fully watch all of Lula Rich before I sat down to film because I didn't want to be biased. I had only seen bits and pieces because yeah. I wanted my story to be genuine, truthful, and exactly what happened. Nothing more, nothing less. So, you know, yeah, there's <laughs> people are not, people are not paid. And most of the time our lives are very normal and very much the same afterwards at least in the few months afterwards I mean it has been for me it hasn't been quite a month yet but you know so far you know there's no huge thing that happens just like you don't wake up the next day with you know a hundred thousand followers and your website sold out that's not that doesn't happen that's not the way this any of this works right Exactly. So, yeah, that's really important for people to know, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I wanted to make sure that uh, people know that because, you know, I, I think it's just so important. Like, you're a regular person, and even though I fangirled a little bit um, <laughs> on the podcast, you know, like you're just a regular person, just like me, and yeah. you're just living your life. And um, I'm just so thankful to have you here, and that you were willing to share your story again. And I hope that it helped you in any way possible. And also, I hope that if you're listening, you go and check out Carla's shop and check out her TikToks and check out her Instagram and support Carla in any way if you enjoyed this podcast because she's the bomb.com and she deserves her business. (laughs) We would love it if you did. Thank you. Because it is, I mean, I am retail and it is January. So everybody knows January, February are not the busiest months and there's not a lot of events to do right now either so not only am I missing events and missing work I mean I have fun even when I'm just putting you know 
any package together to ship out to somebody. You know, I love my product and I love my customers and I love putting everything together and shipping it out and getting it to you in a, you know, as quick as I possibly can and, you know, things like that. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So my final podcast question is what is your anti-MLM why? Because, you know, in the MLM, we always have to have a why that makes you cry. So you ever hear that? That's a great question. Anti-MLM, why? Ooh, yeah. See, this is why it's good to do, you know, a, a lot of different um, interviews. This, this is a great question. Anti-MLM, why? Oh, I love this question. Oh, this could this answer could be so loaded. Um, I would say the anti-MLM, why, is... And I can relate this to a song, you know, I'm a musical person. There is a song called Eminence Front by The Who. It's a put on. It's a put on. Everything is fake. Everything is a show. Nothing is genuine. You know, the sun shines and people forget. You walk into your MLM conference room. Everything looks beautiful and people forget. It's the same thing. So my anti-MLM why would have to be because you can't trust anybody and everything is a front. You don't trust anybody in that room because somebody that genuinely cared about you and had a vested interest into your well-being instead of their pocketbook would never ever shine you on. They would always tell you the truth. Right. Always. I agree. Always. So that's definitely my anti-MLMY. Awesome. Now everybody can go listen to that song too, <laughs> because it is perfect. Yeah. I need to go listen yeah. to it. I don't, I don't know if I know that one. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a good one. It's got a great intro too. All <laughs> right, Carla, thank you so much for being here and for taking the time out of your day and, um, everyone go follow Carla. Her information's in the show notes and have a fantastic new year, everyone. Yes. Happy new year. Happy 2022. Bye. Bye.